quick one if you'd like to support us on our journey to a thousand please do consider subscribing or following this podcast wherever it is you're listening to this thank you yeah you do you do we have to speak up we have to a lot of some you know some people think oh i don't want to be too flash i don't want to be too arrogant well you ain't gonna get nowhere so you have to speak up and tell people what you you know about what you're working and what you're doing that's just part of life people who are successful don't become successful by just getting putting their head down and doing the work it's just not it doesn't work like that vanessa sinyalke is the founder of girls talk london an organization she founded to increase female representation in global organizations and to equip women with the skill sets they need to thrive in their careers. And I think also it's around just men stepping up uh, and, it, you know, it's, it's men in the workplace actually thinking if you have a child with someone, it's got to start with you. Is the childcare 50-50? Are you helping clean up the house? How are you helping the mother of your child's career thrive? I think it's, it's a lot of work to be done around how men can support their mothers of their of their kids because the data shows women are still doing majority of child care and they're not making babies on their own is what I will say so it's a lot yeah a lot of barriers and so I kind of you know firsthand saw that that, that there was a problem women young girls were not aspiring for careers in the financial services and in tech so I thought you know what something needs to be done about that but also the data is showing that that's true because no wonder they don't feel that there's a place for them there's no women who are leading these companies at that time I think there were only like six female CEOs of the top 100 companies in the UK I don't believe that's increased much it kind of fluctuates between six and seven so you know that's that was really my motivation for starting that I wanted to um give young women accessible role models but also a way to help women um, progress in their careers uh thank you for coming to a thousand voices vanessa how are you today i'm good i'm really excited about our conversation i'm really good excited yeah yeah, thank you i'm I'm really excited actually to have you on here as well i love the work you do with girls talk london like proper love when i was looking over everything you guys are about like love it and was super excited to get you on here so yeah, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks um, for having me. Thanks for having me. Ah, anytime, anytime. So before we begin, could you just, for people who don't know who you are, could you just give us like a very quick, short introduction to yourself and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Vanessa Sanyauke. I am the CEO and founder of Girls Talk London. So what we do, we connect women in 37 countries with global businesses. And we are all about helping women level up in their career, but access jobs and opportunities. I am also a diversity and inclusion uh, professional. I've worked in diversity and inclusion for over six, uh, over 15 years. I've worked in the financial services. I've worked at UK Parliament and sort of leading global uh, DNI strategy as well. And, and um, that's a bit about me. And I also have a podcast as well. I'm a podcaster. I've got a business podcast called the Afterwork Drinks Club. It was in the top ten UK business charts, where we interview inspirational and influential people over a nice cocktail or two. And yes, that's a bit about me. Yeah, the, the podcast is amazing. I've listened to a few episodes. I listened to the Kalechi one. I listened to, I think I listened to the Natalie one. Yeah. I listened to maybe one or two others. I can't remember, but amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So, uh, well, before we go into it, uh, what drink are you drinking? 
<laughs> I was yeah literally okay yes doing that one my 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 drink because I'm not feeling too well I've literally I've been drinking Lemsip and vitamin C <laughs> yeah. a vitamin C drink that's what I'm drinking because it's I'm trying to fight a cold cool cool well it does the job it does and I'm drinking um a glass of water <laughs> oh great hydrate you gotta hydrate you gotta yeah hydrate. yeah for sure all right just to begin with you yeah, I always like to take it back you know just to set a bit of a foundation so just to start off with could you just talk about you know where you grew up and what your upbringing was like okay I grew up in North London so I was born in Whittington Hospital so Archways where I'm from Grew up in North London. It was actually quite funny. It was a funny story. My neighbour was Sade, the singer, back in what? the 80s. Yeah. That's one and of my she used to, singers. Yes. And she used to really like me as a baby and, and stuff like that and was friendly with my mum. And so we kind of grew up in that kind of community. So um, Archway moved to Highbury in Islington. So that's where Sade used to live back in the 80s. And so, yeah, grew up in North London, Um both my parents um, are from Zimbabwe and they came to the UK in the 70s. And so although I'm British born, when people ask me where I'm from, I say Zimbabwe, just from my heritage and how I grew up. That was always immersed in our house at home, in our household at home. And yeah, I grew up in, in North London and then we moved to Essex. I was about, I think maybe sort of like six or seven and mum moved us, mum and dad moved us to, to Essex. And so I, I grew up, spent most of my childhood there, like my secondary school years um, as an Essex girl. I went to a convent school, it was called Grace Convent School. And I, you know, my background was very typical, you know, stereotypical African upbringing, mm -hmm. three options, doctor, lawyer, accountant, pick one, I yeah. pick medicine. So I studied the sciences and, you know, after I, um, you know, I went through secondary school in sixth form, studying the sciences, um, thinking that, you know, I was going to become a doctor one day. So that was kind of my, my background. It's very interesting that, that pick one, three options. That's uh, typical, <laughs> typical I hear from a lot of Typical people. African, yeah, yeah, pick one. <laughs> Literally, same here, it was like medicine, uh, medicine, law, which one do you want to go, which one do you want to do? I thought exactly, I yeah, well, you only got two, you only got two, so. <laughs> you had I a bit more options than I did. <laughs> exactly. I thought I was going to be a doctor for a large portion of my youth and then, yeah. Same here, <laughs> same here, exactly. Yeah. What was um, school like for you? School was interesting. I went to, I mean, when when we moved to Essex, I was about like seven. And obviously growing up very early, like my early years were in North London, that's very multicultural, moved to Essex, very predominantly white working class. So we lived in Chadwell Heath, which is like near Dagenham. So, you know, bottom line, it was racist, racist environment. And that was kind of my first instance of going to school and like white boys saying that I was ugly. I remember when I was at like when I was in North London, I had like a boyfriend at the time. <laughs> I was a young kid child, but I remember I had a girlfriend, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, and his name was Adam. And there was this Chinese boy. And that was just normal for me. It was multicultural and there was no kind of um, lines. But then going to Dagenham, Essex, it was very racist. And I think at school, I kind of realized, wow, like, I felt for the first time that, you know, the white guy, when we would play Kiss Chase, for example, my white school friends, the guys didn't want to kiss me because out there was, I was dirty or ugly. So it was a lot of racism 
growing up as well. And then we moved for secondary school into like deeper Essex. I lived in Grays, mm. but I went mm. to a girls school. So I went to a convent school, a Catholic school, and that was quite strict. Um, but it was a really great environment, um, I'd have to say. So growing up in, and I lived in a place, a, a village called South Ockingdon. But my school was in an Essex place called Grays, like where Russell Brand is from, one of our famous um, exports. And that was interesting <laughs> because, yeah, it was a very like, you know, strict school taught by nuns. Um, but it was really a set of good foundation. It was really great. I enjoyed um, that part of secondary school. What's interesting about your upbringing there is when you talk about, so you first grew up in North London, multicultural, and then you mm-hmm. moved out a bit bit by bit into Essex and deeper Essex and then mm-hmm. when you went to what Chadwell Heath you said it was it was less multicultural and that's yeah. what's interesting about that is because now with Girls Talk London we're going to get into that in a bit but then that's about increasing diversity you know yeah uh, yeah do you feel like that's important to you because of your experiences as a child maybe subconsciously maybe yeah I think maybe through you know through my experiences you know such I guess experiencing racism so so early on maybe I've always had that in the back of my mind that that was not right and you know especially from you know being three four and years old and you only have those nursery school primary school boyfriends and girlfriends in North London it was very multicultural so maybe it was just something that I thought that's just not fair maybe yeah yeah yeah, just a very interesting um, distinction I guess to draw and I feel that anyway the subconscious guides us in such a way that it isn't always easy always very easy to recognize that you might like look yeah. back and be like oh yeah I've gone through this I've gone through that maybe that's why I think like that and it's like you know you don't always really clock um mm-hmm. but wherever we are because of it's a sum of like everything that's happened to us and you know our mind and our subconscious shapes us and directs us and guides us and all these experiences play into it um yeah, I, I feel anyways to, yeah to no agree. I agree yeah, yeah I agree everything that you've experience and go through you know it leads you to where you are today so I do agree with that yeah yeah for real for real all right so let's talk university yeah so you've gone uni you thought you was going to be a doctor you've gone to study yeah. well you studied biomed didn't you I think I saw yes yeah. so I studied biomedical science I went to Brunel University and thought after my uh, undergrad I was gonna do postgrad medicine and that was all lined up And then I just really discovered during university that I was more entrepreneurial and I just didn't want to spend my days in the lab, in the hospital. It just really wasn't for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a similar distinction that happened with me as well. I didn't get to as far as university. Uh, to be honest, I didn't get the grades. <laughs> so, so oh, not... bless you. <laughs> so what did you I do? Be, I, I might be a doctor now if I did get the grades, but yes. <laughs> no, I no, I ended up doing um, math, mathematical science. And then it's my background so weird. I've done mathematical science for one ah. year and then left. And then I studied fashion, fashion business. So I got like a very, very background. And now I'm working okay. finance. So, I've, I've been... so you re- you really went far out then? Yeah, yeah, I was a little rebel, innit? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so I said, "Nah, mum, dad, I'm not going to be I a doctor. That. I'm, I'm going to go and do fashion instead." So <laughs> I love. Oh my gosh, I wonder what they. I would love to be a fly on the wall of that conversation. You know? uh, I've had many, many, very tense conversations. Oh man, I can <laughs> but, imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> but but we're here now, so it's all worked out in the end. Um, oh, yeah. Was, so you said in university, you discovered that you were more entrepreneurial. Was there like yes. some sort of experience that happened or was it just like a over time you over like over time you just decided or come to a realization okay actually I'm more entrepreneurial 
Yeah, I think it was at university where I really discovered that that's where my skills align so when I went to Brunel University I don't know what it was about my year group but loads of people had started their own social enterprises and businesses so a lot of of my friends now are very successful entrepreneurs or very um, influential in in business and so I was kind of in my first and second year and some some of my friends were starting companies hair brands beauty brands so many different different businesses and I just got the bug for it so I remember I, my first business was a party planning business it's quite funny because I like to organize events and this is what girls London do but I had a party planning business so I would go out and promote my own parties and I'd be the only female like handing out flyers after all the raves which is quite interesting in a male-dominated like environment and then that's when I started my first social enterprise called the Rafiki Network so I was just around that environment where people were just all about making a difference making things happen and there was no limits and it just felt tangible for me and so that's kind of where I actually realized I think for me I knew medicine wasn't for me I knew that I wanted to eventually be an entrepreneur and that's where yeah I got the kind of bug for it sort of like being around that entrepreneurial energy and then yeah it seeps exactly. into you in a way over yeah, time definitely yeah with the Rafiki Network so that was about combating knife crime yeah so mm-hmm. what was the motivation behind starting that at the time so I started the Rafiki Network it was 2007 and it was that time when literally every week there was a young person that in London, if you would turn on the news every week, there was a young person, young black person that was killed by gun and knife crime. And I just remember having a conversation again with my friends at university about this. And then we're all, we were all very solution focused and we're thinking, what can we do? And I used to, and I was saying, if these young people had mentors, I bet they wouldn't go down this path. And that's what sparked the idea. And so I actually, that's when I met Natalie, who's become you know one of my best friends. She was working for a charity called, I think it was Make Your Mark. And she was like, you know what? You should actually apply for some funding if you want to do your mentoring program. And then I applied for some funding and then de- um, decided to pilot a mentoring program where my friends and I at university would go to a school, Battersea Park School, about every couple of weeks and we would go and we would mentor uh, young students um, in year 10 with the idea to help them think about careers, upskill them so that they would be more focused on their education. And that's kind of, for me, where I saw actually how an idea plus action equals impact. And I just got the bug and I thought, this is really great. This is definitely what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to knife crime, I, I, I suppose, I mean, in my opinion, anyway, knife crime is a very multifaceted problem anyways. It's not like something mm-hmm. with a one single answer. However, mm-hmm. in your experience, what would you say uh, are some of that, maybe the main kind of contributing factors that lead to that, that sort of thing? We kind of touched on it um, at the beginning of the podcast around your experiences and subconsciously how they can impact where you are. And if you're not in a good environment, so it really starts at home and your surroundings. So if you have got maybe an unstable home, you're surrounded, you're surrounded by gangs, violence, intimidation, there's no role models, you don't know what you can be you're limited by sort of what you see in your environment. And that's really what I saw and what was the cause. It's kind of 
the way of life. Some of these young people, this is the only way of life that they know. It's about survival. There's no, they don't have a benefit of dreaming, of having goals, having visions for themselves, because the way that they are, the environment that they're in, it's about surviving day to day. And in, and even when we think about how the, the world is now, um, high cost of living has gone up, you know what I mean? And, and, and then the wages haven't. And if you're seeing this struggle, that's kind of all you know. And that's kind of why we find that, you know, instances of knife crime are in areas of high deprivation as well. So it, it kind of all links. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, it's funny when you talk, when we talk about crime, one thing I don't like anyway is when the media that uses the term, the, the black on black crime term, which I'm not a massive fan of because mm. it sort of then denotes that the main, one of the contributing factors behind it is the fact that they're black and that's, that's not the case. Um, when you talk about it, it's like when you're in areas that are poorer, um, like you said, when there's less money, then there's mm. more crime. And that's true around the whole world, literally, yeah. like, Akala talks about it quite a bit um I'll be paraphrasing I, I might be even getting it slightly wrong but he says like um London is and again I don't know what year this is from I don't know if it's like still true right now but like London is only like number three or number four when it comes to like knife crime in the UK you've got Glasgow and Liverpool and areas like that which are worse you know yeah um mm-hmm. and it's, it's not because they're black like in Glasgow it's not like because they're exactly. black exactly you know exactly yeah, it's true. I've I've heard him say this the the same thing, but it's a narrative that uh I guess the government want us to go along with. It's 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 it, government and the media and wider society want us to think that it's a black on black uh crime problem rather than um society and sort of social economics. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's literally so, social economics, you know, and it's interesting as well when you talk about um, that survival mindset, because well, where I grew up as well, there's a lot of crime as well in East London. And when I grew up around a lot of people that are involved in all sorts of stuff like that, and when you talk to them, yeah, it's like their, their mindset is literally of the belief where they literally cannot see outside of this environment. So yeah. it's like you say, why don't you go and do this? How? I can't. They, they literally cannot see. And they don't see anyone like them from their areas who's gone and done that. So again, it's the role models. It's like you're trying to, you're trying to say to people, do you know what? You can get an education. You can start your own business. And they're like, well, who from here has done that? So yeah, yeah. you're right. That's, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, lack of role models. And it's really cool as well when you talk about, which we're going to get into again, I keep alluding to it, but if girls talk London. Yeah. So like, for yeah. example, when you go into like industries where there isn't as diverse and then so let's say, for example, I go into an industry where there isn't a lot of black people um, and I look up and then I'm just seeing like white middle-aged men above me. And you can, people might internalize that and be like, oh, well, okay, there, there's, there's no way for me to get out. It's like a lack of like a role model in that mm-hmm. kind of a position that you can parallel that to people who are growing up in these high crime areas it's a lack of role models um that's why they can't see past the current situation um and it's not good you know very multifaceted problem though i think it's very simple to solve but um a lot of that can be done for sure um so uh, let's go into um your career now so after university you've gone you worked in the city for a bit worked to a few different corporations and whatnot now one common theme that i've heard from a lot of people I've spoken to for this podcast and just very generally speaking from life and that is mm-hmm. that it's about the lack of diversity 
um, across okay, yeah. all sorts of different industries. Um, so in yeah. your case with Girls Talk London, it'll be like lack of female representation across maybe some key industries or whatnot. And then yeah. just generally speaking, lack of not enough black people in certain areas or ethnic, just other ethnic groups, are literally in other in industries and in senior positions and that kind of thing. But that's like, it's something that we all know, I guess, that there's lack of diversity. Um, and I also want to talk about inclusion as well. So we know that there's a lack of diversity. Um, and we also know that in a lot of industries that the attrition rate with black employees is is a lot higher. Black employees are leaving a lot more quickly. Yeah. And then I believe, or I believe personally, it's probably down to um, a lack of inclusion, not feeling included. Yeah, you're right. That's what the data yeah. says, yeah. Yeah, so in that in that sense, yeah. So um, what do you, when you was working in City, did you, one, did you feel that lack of inclusion? And, and yeah, just can you define what inclusion means to you? Yeah, I definitely did. I didn't feel included when I worked in the city. So when I worked in the city, I didn't actually work in diversity and in inclusion until very later on. So I worked at in, I can't really say the name. I don't want to say the name, but I worked for an international bank at the time, UK, very big in the UK. Um, And I worked in their group events and internal communications team. And then I went for another large international bank um, which has a big presence in Hong Kong and I worked in their um, HR department and then it was only when I worked for an American investment bank and I, I just stumbled upon this department which was called corporate responsibility and that was like my first time really seeing like HR and, and DNI. So through my career working at group events, group communications, I just always felt like there was no senior black people. I just felt like I was just always going to be at the bottom of the barrel. I felt like my colleagues would make fun of me when I would come with, with different wigs. Uh, just how I was, you know what I mean? Just how I kind of um, appeared. I, you just always felt like you were the odd odd one out. And I never mm. even had like, you know, like black female peers that I could really talk to. Mm. so and you only would see like the black staff would be like the PAs or assistants and never a black person that was in the senior senior role and so I didn't feel included I just felt like I was just like just any anything which is why I kind of lead a bit more leaned a bit more to my entrepreneurial side I would say that for me inclusion is really feeling like you belong feeling like you have a say feeling like you are part of something that's what inclusion means to me and I mean there's so many definitions but for me that's what inclusion means it means feeling like I belong feeling like I have a place feeling like I have a voice feeling like people and the environment I am in care about me that they care about my well-being that I matter that's what inclusion means to me yeah and in your experience uh, working through the city and also working with Girls Talk London, what are some of the key points that you, um, when it comes to feeling that lack of inclusion, are you hearing that from a lot of other women that you're working with? And what are some of the, like, their sort of key sticking points when it comes to that as well? I mean, I guess it's it's very, I guess it's it's, it's quite similar across the board. So the, the experiences that we hear from our community are quite similar to what is reported. So it's in terms of some of the barriers that they face, it's one around a mixture of diversity and inclusion. So for example, the lack of women in senior positions, 
means that the culture is not necessarily catered towards women working in a thriving environment. So if we looked at the, at the pandemic, the data was showing that women were still doing, even women who are married with husbands, they're all, everybody's in a pandemic. The women were still doing a majority of the house and house care, child care. So it, it's around those barriers in terms of the, the, the gender roles. And there's also research who I worked with the female lead. They are another um, female empowerment charity. And I was part of their advisory board and they had um, a big report about women in the workplace. And they found that actually women in the data, they're, they are even more so ambitious uh, but it's just the workplace that is not you know, accommodating their ambitions. So it's a bit, again, around the stereotypes. It's again, because a lot of women at home, they're bearing the brunt of childcare in the pandemic. It's around the visibility. Now we're coming out of it. Uh, they've got this kind of pre uh, presenteeism bias where women might want to now opt more to work at home because of the childcare responsibilities, but yet they're not being as visible. So you, you don't have that going um, to after work drinks or you know being able to engage with senior stakeholders in person so they're being sort of left out you know during the pandemic and now post pandemic so now the challenge is how do women balance hybrid work and still think about ways that they can still progress and so I think that's a bit more of the diversity and inclusion inclusion piece that leadership are still not considering all of the the the, the barriers and I think also it's around just men stepping up uh, and it, you know it's it's men in the workplace actually thinking if you have a child with someone it's got to start with you is the child care 50 50 are you helping clean up the house how are you helping the mother of your child's career thrive I think it's, it's a lot of work to be done around how men can support their mothers of their of their kids because the data shows women are still doing majority of the child care and they're not making babies on their own is what I will say. So mm -hmm. it's a lot, yeah, a lot of barriers. So I think there's been a lot of um, stuff that I'm going to be doing around working parents as well our, with our um, organisation as well. Yeah, I suppose it kind of boils down to, in a way, like a culture shift then, you know? Yeah. Um, because when you talk about the going out for, you said after work drinks, I thought of your, your podcast. It's my podcast, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after work drinks club. Check it out if you haven't checked yeah. it out, people. Yes. Podcast. <laughs> Thank uh, you. <laughs> but um, yeah, when you talk about that, like, because I've got a friend, um, well, he's a guy, I've got a friend, yeah, but he was like, when it came to work, he got a lot of his promotions just through going out to drinks after work. Literally. Yeah, um, it is. It is. It's all about those. And, and you know, and it's, it's, a, it's give and take, right? Sometimes we have to be real. Life is life. So, you know, if you can, face-to-face -face is always better than virtual. Let's not lie to ourselves and think, oh, you can develop really good, you know, rapport. There's just some things that can't be done virtually, right? But I think it's just thinking really consciously and making an effort that it doesn't sort of um, sort of really go down the wayside, and everybody has the has the chance to have that face to face engagement. That's kind of I think what we need to sort of look at as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely, I agree. And yeah. also, people who aren't um, who might need more flexible working, like you're saying, if it's a working mother or, or just anyone that has any kind of issue that they may need to work a bit more flexibly, flexibly, um, yeah. not forgetting that they exist, keeping in some way, yeah. shape, or form having them on the same sort of a level level playing field as everybody's in the office because people that are in the office are getting more visibility maybe more face time with management and that kind of thing which mm -hmm. when it comes to talent discussions or 
wage rise or whatever. Exactly. You know, people are not even in the conversations. Exactly. Literally, yeah. literally, which isn't isn't really yeah. fair if people got other things that means they have to work a bit more flexibly. Um, exactly. So yeah, definitely things that need to be raised. Um, awareness needs to be raised on it. So, and from there. Let's go into Girls Talk London. So mm-hmm. I've, I've alluded to it a couple of times. Love the work you do with Girls Talk London. So Thank sick. Um, I think definitely something that's needed. And um, yeah, so let's just go Girls Talk London. Yeah. So you founded Girls Talk London whilst you were still working in, when you're still working and you're balancing both, I suppose, for a period of time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For people who don't know, uh, could you just let us know what Girls Talk London is and then what your motivation was for founding it at the time? Yeah, so at Girls Talk London, um, what we do is we uh, do a couple of things. I think we've got we've kind of got two, I guess, faces. So we work a lot with corporate. So we partner with global businesses. So some of our clients are uh, Meta, Snapchat, Vodafone, HSBC is one of our clients. We work a lot with a lot of the companies in tech and the financial services, and we partner with them to help uh, democratize access. Um, to jobs and opportunities for female and black female talent. So we connect them with our talent community and our global community of women. So we kind of, in terms of how we work with women, we've, we've built a global community of women in 37 countries and we connect them to the businesses who we're working with to help them, you know, increase their, their diversity, but also get the women get jobs, um, internships, um, you know, through our partnerships. Um, and then we also, you know, produce online content. So we have a blog, we have a talk show, we do events. So we have um, the largest global uh, career summit for black women in tech called the Black Girls Tech Summit it's in its fourth year. Uh, and we also um, deliver a lot of programs. So talent, ex- ex- talent accelerator programs for women and consultancy and lots of other things. So we're all around, you know, getting uh, women into senior positions, into male-dominated sectors, and just helping them to level up in their careers as well. That's what we do. That's that's cool. And at that moment in time you founded it, I believe it was 2013 you founded it, right? Yeah. 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 So at that moment in time when you founded it, what was the motivation behind starting it there and then? So when I started Girls Talk London, it was at that time when – so. In terms of externally, why I knew there was a need, there was the Lord Davis report, and it it showed that I think women made up just twelve point five percent of of all uh, roles on the FTSE one hundred executive boards. So only twelve point five percent of women were at the board level in the top one hundred companies in the UK, but yet we make up just under fifty percent of the workforce. So it was just really terrible. And then I was doing a lot of work with um, young people and diversity and inclusion and trying to get, um, encourage them to get jobs in the financial services. And I just noticed a lot of women were opting out of those careers and saying, you know, I don't really see a place for myself in the city. And so I kind of, you know, firsthand saw that, that, that there was a problem. Women, young girls were not aspiring for careers in the financial services and in tech. So I thought, you know what, something needs to be done about that. But also the data is showing that that's true because no wonder they don't feel that there's a place for them. There's no women who are leading these companies. At that time, I think there were only like six female CEOs of the top 100 companies in the UK. I don't believe that's increased much. It kind of fluctuates between six and seven. So, you know, that's that was really my motivation for starting that. I wanted to... Um, 
give young women accessible role models, but also way to help women um, progress in their careers as well. That's really cool. And when you said the six, right, well, between six and seven CEOs, mm-hmm. I, I knew there was a lack of diversity. I didn't know it was that much. That that sounds nuts, to be honest. Yeah, of the um, FTSE 100. Yeah, there's more men named John than with female CEOs. That, that's that's proper yeah. nuts. That's crazy. Because what I always say as well is that like um, organizations should, at the very least, be indicative of what the population, like the demographics of the population. You know what I'm saying? It should be 47, at least, between 47 to 49 uh, FTSE 100 CEO should be female. Yeah, so if, it, that's just the bottom line. Yeah, and if if all things were equal, like law of averages, whatever, all things were equal, then it would be. But then, yeah. if it's not, then something has happened. I don't know, like could be culture, could be this, could be that, whatever. Mm-hmm. But something has happened, and obviously, like you said, massive lack of role models. And you can even caveat that back to when we're talking about the camera and everything like that. Massive lack of role models, you know. And I think it's yeah. very important to have those like visible role models in those places that you can look up and be like, oh wow, like she's done it or he's done it or whatever. Exactly. So I can do yeah. it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Yeah, for real, definitely. Um, when you first start, started, sorry, Girls Talk London, what did it look like? I started it. I started doing quarterly meetups. So I remember the first event we did. It was snowing. And I had to literally beg the, I, I, I had uh, some senior women come and talk to young girls at, at secondary school. And it was a snowy day, the trains were cancelling, buses weren't running, and it was just like a complete nightmare. But we managed to make it work. So it was very humble, humble beginnings. We bought biscuits from Waitrose and like drinks from yeah. Waitrose and, you know, and it was just really like basic. And then it just grew. So we just started out as a small community coming together in London and uh, senior women would tell their stories, their career journeys to younger women. And then it just grew from there, but very, yeah, a small, small meetups. And then, yeah, to the work we do now. Yeah. And then now you've got a lot of corporate partners and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. When did you start reaching out to corporate partners and how did you go about building those relationships? Interestingly, I think, I can't remember how, I think O2 was, was our first corporate partner. And I think it's because I knew some, a lady that had moved to O2, so through my own personal networks. And then O2 were saying, actually, you know, we're having a real, we're struggling a lot with getting women into these jobs. Can you help us? And then they were like, actually, we um, have been speaking to our, our contacts and, and counterparts at Ericsson, at BT and Vodafone. Can you help all of us? So I was actually approached to come up with a plan to help them increase the number of women. So I was very fortunate that I was actually approached. And then um, we piloted our first program with those four corporates, which was called Step Into STEM. So it was a mentoring program for young women at Sixth Form to help them get, um, they got a mentor from, from one of the businesses and we were help, wanted to basically encourage them to study STEM subjects. And then through that, it's just really been part of my network so just networking, meet, meeting contacts, doing great work, then caught the eyes of other um, sort of other corporates. But again, I'd kind of meet somebody. <clears throat> so I met a lady at Facebook, for example, at an event that Facebook were hosting. And I was telling her about what I was doing. And I said, look, would you host Black Girls Tech Summit? And they said, yes. So a lot of networking, asking corporates and reaching out to them, but also equally now we get corporates that will reach out to us and want to partner as well. Yeah, 
that's really yeah. cool so i guess at first it was sort of organic just based on providing some level of value and from there yeah, it's exactly. just sort of grew organically over time as well yeah all been yeah. organic actually basically in short yeah. and you touched upon the step into stem which i read about on the website which i thought was so cool uh, can you talk, you talk a bit more <clears throat> sorry a bit more about that mm. program and what it looks like yeah, I mean, we don't run it anymore. We've got a new program now called Step Up. But Step Into STEM, we we ran that program for five years, and it's it. We worked with nearly two hundred uh, girls who were in sixth form in London, Birmingham, and Leeds. They got a mentor from one of the four sponsors. So the sponsors were BT, Vodafone, Ericsson, and O2. And it was a seven month program. So the girls would meet with their mentor once a month. And then we would host um, a two day career summit for them, for them to meet the recruitment team, senior leaders, and then we'd have a really big graduation. And through that, we won a European diversity award for best community project. And then, you know, 80%, probably more so now, are studying STEM subjects. And actually now we've got some of our alumni who are actually working now at these businesses. So it's really had an impact. They're now actually, you know, they've got jobs um, there at the sponsors. So it's had a really big impact. That's really cool. And then you you, touch, you said um, you got the Step Up as well now then. So is yeah. that is it very similar in what, what it does? Yeah. So Step Up is, it just started in this January. It's a talent accelerator, but it's for female university students or those who identify as female um, at university. And it's running in Ghana and the UK quite similar but it's more so around giving women that step up into jobs so it's around they get mentoring they get master classes we have a career summit for them and then we do a lot of coaching with them in terms of interviews and application and the idea is um, we want them at the end of this program to be ready to enter um, a job in tech or a job with with our sponsors so the sponsors of this program are HSBC UK BT again, Vodafone and Virgin Media O2. So it's been really great to actually, I mean, I've been working with uh, like Vodafone, BT and Virgin Media O2, especially the contacts there for now maybe sort of six years, six, seven years. So it's been just great to kind of continue that relationship with them as well. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. And I want to talk about balance. Yeah. So you were working in the city when you first founded um, Girls Talk London. And yeah. I work in the city now and I know what it's like. Like, it's, it's tough. The, the, the job in of itself is tough. And then to do mm -hmm. that and to work on something entrepreneurial on the side, and I, I would assume as well, it's not even necessarily like on the side. It's kind of all consuming as well. You know, when you're putting on mm -hmm. big events and everything, it's on your mind 24 7. Uh, yeah. how, how did you? balance the two like your career and girls to London poorly it, it, it wasn't I can't <laughs> I can't lie you know my health did suffer a lot uh, and in the mental health you you do struggle because it is tiring and so I left my job full-time job last year um to really focus on girls talk full time so I had to make that decision because we were just growing and also, you know, just certain environments, I, I just can't really say too much about it, but I just think certain cultures, it just really wasn't necessarily conducive to me being able to have my side hustle happily and being in certain corporate cultures for me, it just didn't really work. So I'm a big advocate of side hustles. I think you should definitely have a side hustle for as long as possible because two incomes are better than one. But I think I just got to that stage where 
I just felt that I wasn't necessarily in an environment that was supportive of me as an individual. And also I just thought to myself, do you know what? There's something here. Our business was growing at a really big rate that I couldn't do both things at the same time. And so I just had to, had to take that leap of faith and just say, let me just focus a thousand percent on Girls Talk London. I'm going going hard or I'm going to go home. And so that's kind of where I where I was. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, let's see if somebody wanted to get into one of these FTSE 100 companies, what's the best way to go about it? Oh, it's, 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 uh, where do I start? I mean, (laughs) you, you have to do a number of things. It's not like, okay, just do this and then you'll get a job in the FTSE 100 companies. You really have to have this, you have to be strategic. So if you want to, have a job with a big corporate you have to be strategic and you have to think about you have to have a plan for how you're going to go about it you you can't just think oh yeah I'm just going to try and apply for like loads of jobs and get it so you have to kind of do an almost a career audit of yourself your CV your strengths your weaknesses and think about how you can really sort of make your your experience attractive to what you know to an employer and what they look for so I think it's important to continuously upskill yourself to invest in your self-development you also have to utilize um platforms like LinkedIn because a lot of recruiters from a FTSE 100 companies they are literally on LinkedIn looking for talent so you have to make sure your personal branding is on point that you make yourself look like an expert in your field you have to make a lot of effort people who are not on LinkedIn you're not serious in my opinion I always tell my network this you have to get on LinkedIn if you want a job at a FTSE 100 company and then thinking about constantly evolving your skills so the skills that employers look for in the skills that these companies need are always changing so you have to you have to really constantly think about what skills can I develop what skills will an employer need and then how can you demonstrate that so those are kind of some of the things like you know people need to do Uh, and then you also kind of have to think about having mentoring coaching getting a sponsor uh, thinking about how you can get more visibility as well so not just doing the work you're not gonna really get your next gig by just keeping your head down and doing the work it doesn't really work like that you have to think about how can I get more visibility and put myself out there so there's so many different things that you can do to get more visibility like with senior people and also externally so that corporates will end up trying to headhunt you as well so things like um things like um getting a board like sitting on a board it could be for like a charity or non-profit is good for your exposure um and just thinking about ways to constantly evolve and develop yourself and make yourself stand out is really key that's really cool and i like when you said about just putting your head down and doing the work doesn't always necessarily work because it reminds me of a conversation i had with a friend recently um so he's a like a python coder or something like that and Mm -hmm. he was he was like how he spent so so long writing the best ever code um and didn't just didn't really shout about it didn't tell he'd done the work um and then someone else came and just appropriated his and created like a substandard version of what he wrote and they got promotion off his work yes and yeah. he was like, he was like, what he was saying to me was that black people were too humble. We need to let them know. <laughs> I've done this work. Let them know. Put it in their face. <laughs> yeah, you do. You do. We have to speak up. We have to. A lot of some, you know, some people think, oh, I don't want to be too flash. I don't want to be too arrogant. Well, you ain't going to get nowhere. So you have to speak up and tell people what you've, you know, about what you're working and what you're doing. That's just part of life. People 
who are successful don't become successful by just getting putting their head down and doing the work that's just not it doesn't work like that you've got to and you've got to apply all the other things as well yeah yeah close mouths don't get fed yeah exactly yeah. exactly yeah exactly all right so Let's talk um, about, so since, let's talk about Black Lives Matter movement, yeah? So mm-hmm. another common theme that I picked up from a lot of people I've spoken to was that after the, you know, Black Lives Matter has been happening for a long time, but when the movement gained a lot of traction after the George Floyd murder, um, a lot of people had a lot of people reaching out to them. Um, and, it, you know, all of that kind of thing, which has sort of waned off over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, you, I mean, you've got your Black Girls Tech Summit, you work with women and Black women and everything like that. I'm wondering what your... Um, experience has been in that regard like did you get a lot of attention when during that period and has that been sustained with like the corporates you work with yes and no I mean I think because my background I was a DNI professional so I was in-house so there was a lot of pressure in terms of us as DNI con- uh, uh, practitioners to address this issue you know so there was a lot of interest at senior level executive level around oh my gosh what's the data how many black employees do we have we need to do something you know so there was there was definitely that resurgence of pressure whereas when you would try and talk to um you know people uh senior leaders around race and ethnicity they were kind of like oh we just want to focus we, we just want to focus on gender right now after the you know the black lives matter movement that's when it was like they were coming to you now and saying, what are we doing? What are we doing about race? I think it was definitely um, at the forefront of people's minds. Uh, however, I think, I wouldn't say the floodgates open and everyone's like, you know, rushing, but slowly but surely we were seeing it wasn't as hard to sell why we did Black Girls Tech Summit. So I have to try and, I have to remind people, we started this in 2019. So we had seen very early on before you know, a year before George Floyd's murder, sadly, that this was an issue. So we were, we had to do a bit more pushing and fighting for companies to sponsor. Whereas now when we're approaching corporates, they get it, if that makes sense. But I wouldn't yeah. say they're kind of still rushing and it's it's un- uncontrollable demand. The barriers are still there. I don't want anyone to get it twisted and think, oh yeah, now everything's changed. It, it's not changed that much, to be honest. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like these corporates are doing enough to promote, like, you've been working in diversity and inclusion for a while now, and then as a professional and also with your business as well, in your experience, just looking back and from then until now, do you feel like corporates are doing enough to promote diversity and inclusion? If they were, you wouldn't have the issue. <laughs> so there's your answer. <laughs> yeah. The data says yeah. otherwise. <laughs> Not me. Yeah, the yeah. data says otherwise. Yeah, oh, it's true. The proof, the proof is in the pudding. So, so yeah, cool. Makes sense. All right, let's um reflect back on your journey. Yeah, looking back through your journey, whether professional, professionally, or personally, what would you say has been your highest high and your lowest low? Hmm. Oh, it's a tough one. I think my highest yeah. high. There's not one moment. I think my highest high has always been my business. So whether we've got a new corporate partner, we're now growing our team, we're expanding into West Africa and and other places. I think my highest high has always been my business. I can't pick one. It's just been, that's been the highest high, like seeing my business grow, like Girls Talk London and develop. I think my lowest low, hmm. 
I think I would say like there was a time when I did girls talk full time for like two years from 2015 to, to 2017. It wasn't really like my choice. It was, I was kind of like working part time and then I moved to Ghana to be with my partner at the time. And that was like a real low. I think it was because I battled with a lot of imposter syndrome. I didn't have a lot of confidence. I was also very young. I just didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and so that was a real low for me. So I kind of took a step back, came back to the UK, went back to working and then just slowly built myself up again and built my business back up. So I would say, interestingly, yeah, that was, I would say that was like my lowest low. But I learned a lot from that in terms of the mistakes I made. Now that I've kind of really uh, decided, right, I'm doing this full-time entrepreneurship thing. Now, based because of the, because of the mistakes I made in my lowest lows, I'm now more seasoned, and I feel more confident in what I'm doing. So that's what I would say. Yeah. So do you feel like you've overcome the imposter syndrome now? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. A, a thousand percent. Yeah. So I feel like, yeah, I don't have any doubt about my abilities. I, I just, yeah, I've come a long way since then. Yeah. That's good to hear. All right. What would you say has been your proudest achievement so far? Mm. I'm trying to have a look. I've got some pictures as well of some of them in my room. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I would say... Oh, okay. I would say this was quite a big deal. So like I was in the financial times. I was on the future ethnic minority leaders list. I was like top 30. I think I was like number 22 um, in the UK, Europe, Canada and US. It was, and it was published in the financial times. And my dad was like really, really proud. And like my cousins were like, oh my God, you're in the financial times. Like this is major. So I think that would be like one of my highs, like being in that list. Uh, that was pretty cool that's very very cool yeah that was really cool yeah that's really cool that's good to hear and last question before we go into some quick fire which I always like to end with this question what do you want your legacy to be oh that's a tough one Mm -hmm. ah I think my legacy is girls talk London I think everything that I'm building this, this is my legacy really so I want my legacy to be girls talk London I'm 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 purposely driving the business so eventually I can leave it and somebody else can run it and somebody else can run that I'm not building it to be a lifestyle business for me I'm building it because I want it to have a legacy beyond me so that's what that's how I'm kind of and that's in the way that I'm coaching my staff and developing my staff and thinking always thinking about who can my successor be because that's what I want my legacy to be girls talk London I love that. That's really cool. And it's like having that succession plan because you really believe in what it's about. It's not like yes. I'm here to get get the bag right now and then cool. Then that's it. Like exactly. Keeping here and having that succession because, you know, it's going to benefit generations to come. So exactly. Love yeah. that. All right. Thank you. Let's go in some quick fire questions. Yeah. Okay. So I've got 10 questions. Uh, okay. Yeah, I've got about 10 questions. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how are you with quick fire questions? them i like them (laughs) (laughs) all right cool i'm ready i hope you like my ones (laughs) all right go on go on go on let's go all right first question what's your favorite movie oh my gosh i'm bad at these quick fire favorite movie (laughs) has to be waiting to exhale i love it i know it off by heart 
Great. All right. <laughs> Next. What's your favorite book? Oh my gosh. Oprah Winfrey, what I know for sure. That's the, the most, my favorite book. Yeah. Great. Third, name a song that you can never get bored of. Oh my God. Anything <laughs> Beyonce, Formation. Great. All right. If you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would you pick? Mashed potato. Oh, interesting choice. <laughs> just, just I love mashed potato, potato. No, no and gravy. ribs and ribs. <laughs> yeah, ribs and mashed potato. I could eat every day. Nice. For the rest of my life. Yeah. Nice. All right. Next, how do you start your day? I have a, um, a very strict morning routine. I always start it with gospel music. I always like my candles, and I'm always reading my like my prayer journals and journaling, and coffee always have to have a coffee great next name three people that inspire you oh oprah winfrey steve harvey and my mom great what's the best advice you've ever received from my cousin ralph so he told me when i was whinging one time about how i'm just not where i want to be and i want to be a boss and he was like vanessa like and i was i think i was like 25 26 and he was like and he's basically um the ceo of basically africa's largest telco company and he was like but at the time he was a ceo of uh, a very large investment bank the africa region and he was like look vanessa you are never gonna be me right now <laughs> he was like you're never gonna be me so stop trying to and he was like not because you haven't got the skills certain things are about experience and you have to go for a certain experience. Your career is a marathon. It is a journey. And that he was so right, because as I mentioned, everything that I've gone through, now I am a CEO, I'm thriving because I've taken my time to go through experiences. If I was a CEO back there when he was talking to me, I would have failed. That was the best piece of advice. It let me just stop putting pressure on myself. That tough love from family. Gotta love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next. If you were to dedicate the rest of your life to a charitable cause, what would you pick? Something to do with race and women. Yeah. All right. Next one. What's the kindest thing that someone has ever done for you? Ooh. The kindest thing someone's ever done for me. Oh, that's a tough one. Pray for me yeah great and last question what's one thing people don't know about you oh my god oh, your, <laughs> questions, your questions are so funny what's the one thing people don't, people don't know that I am and I kind of share this a little bit on my Instagram but they don't necessarily know like I have a very kind of like ratchet kind of truck driver side so there's a kind of corporate <laughs> Vanessa but in my house there's a completely different like <laughs> Vanessa yeah so I kind of like everything ratchet um yeah I'm quite a very ratchet person now. <laughs> so, what's cool. know? Yeah. that's great great to hear all right that's that 1000 voices wrapped up uh before we oh, wrap you. up properly um have you got any closing remarks um and also when people where can people find you if they want to find you yeah, I mean, they, they can follow. Um, it's at Vanessa Sanyalke on most platforms. Uh, also at Girls Talk London. We're on all social media platforms as well. 
um, and they can find out about our work is girlstalklondon.com and yeah just I love what you're doing so I'm just can't wait to see you've got a big task but I'm sure you can do it 1000 black voices here we come so I think it's really great uh, what you're doing so just all the best and I'm looking forward to tuning in and listening to all of these incredible stories yeah thank you so much really enjoyed having you on here today Vanessa like really really good loved hearing about your journey um hearing about your lessons learned you know everything you've gone through it's been super good and I'm sure people are going to find it super inspiring as well so thank you once again really appreciate it but yeah that's that for today so thank you for tuning in this is a thousand voices that was Vanessa Sanyauke and we're out okay that was that as always thank you for tuning in it is very much appreciated and if you haven't already please do consider subscribing to us or following us wherever you're listening to this right now it really does help us in trying to amplify the voices of the people that we speak to also what did you think about this episode what did you gain from this episode what were some of your key takeaways from this conversation as always it's always great to hear from you guys so leave a comment leave a review wherever you're listening to this right now let us know what you thought about this The next podcast episode is going to be dropping next week, Tuesday, as they're released every single Tuesday. So if you'd like to see some previews, a few little snippets from that, then follow us on our social media pages at 1000 Voices UK so that you can keep up to date with that before it comes out. The full YouTube video will drop a few days afterwards as well. So keep an eye out for that. But that's that for now. Thank you for tuning in. This is 1000 Voices. And for now, people, we're out.